The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome to your day in court with renowned lawyers, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. If you ever get yourself in some legal situations, some legal hot water, and you want to get a favorable outcome, let me recommend you reach out to one of these two men because they have been working long enough that they're not afraid to go to court and they will get your situation resolved. Let's start with how you get a hold of them, Bruce. If folks need to reach out to you, easy to find me. And by the way, definitely not afraid of going to court. We love going to court. It's, it's the best part of it. our job. And when it comes to getting justice in a person, personal injury case and finally getting a fair offer, that's 99 times out of 100, the only way to do it is to be on the courthouse steps and then insurance companies come through and offer you something realistic. I'm all over the interwebs, hagen-law.com, H-A-G-E-N-law.com. You can email me, Bruce, at hagen-law.com. Phone number, cell phone for the listeners of this show, 404-202-2233, 404-202-2233. And Ray? 404-964-4185. RayJudiceLaw.com. I've got a little webpage, a lot of videos, some instructional stuff. Pleasure to be here with Tug and Bruce and talking about some excellent legal topics. Yeah, well, let's start with the Supreme Court hearing arguments on college affirmative action cases. They are specifically at the University of North Carolina and Harvard University. The universities say it's important to consider race in the admissions process. Detractors say, well, no, this is the wrong way of going about the cases. How do y'all see this playing out? Why do you think this has come up? And uh, why do you think it got all the way to the Supreme Court? Well, I understand why it's come up. This has been the target of the uh, conservative right wing for years that feel that it's discriminatory against white people, particularly, although in this case, whites and Asians sort of have a coalition saying that we're the ones that are um, not able to get into these elite colleges because of affirmative action programs, which no longer have a basis in society to be to support the need for the program. So you've got a, a group that was formed specifically for the purpose of challenging these kind of programs and it brought many legal challenges. And now the court is ripe really to handle this. This week you had oral arguments, which normally they devote a specific amount of time to a, a particular case, a couple, you know, maybe 90 minutes, whatever it is. This one was something like five hours of oral argument with very vigorous uh, debate. You know, people who don't typically say a word were chiming in with questions. So you have a really vigorous debate. You've got what appears to be decades of precedent about to be overturned, similar to what happened with Roe v. Wade, uh, where this court has shown that they're not restrained in the least by precedent that doesn't fit their views of the world. And so the argument was sort of split right down the lines of how the courts divided. It seemed to be six to three, you know, Roberts being the wild card. And of course, he can come across as the moderate while still not affecting the outcome. Yeah. One of the things that Justice Roberts tries to do is he tries to guide the conversation and the discussion if he's not going to write the majority opinion to try to get who will write the majority opinion. This is the inner workings of the Supreme Court where all nine justices will submit an opinion. It'll be circulated amongst the nine. And of course, they're brilliant law clerks who all went to Ivy League colleges 
uh, history is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think folks realize how insular not only the justices of the Supreme Court, who are, I believe, seven Catholics, almost everyone from the Northeast, almost, I believe everyone went to an Ivy League school. In fact, it's, it's even like the minuscule Ivy, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, maybe NYU. It's not even a Dartmouth on there. No Brown University in no, there. No, and it wasn't until Sandra Day O'Connor was the first Supreme Court justice, not only female, but from west of, from the West, right? Is that right? And also an elected official, Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, people have kind of overlooked her, how special she really was, and and maybe there'll be a retrospective one day on that. Uh, and also, she's, she's not going to be on a stamp though. That, that uh, uh, well, seems not to be... not with these politics, but <laughs> but so so. But I'm going to disagree with Bruce. You know what? Hey, you know, what you you know, know who else is affected by this? The parents of the kids who are trying to get into college. So here I am, and I've got Junior Judice, and we do everything. I mean, we do piano lessons and summers here and backpacking and 4-H, and we're trying to develop a well-rounded, you know, productive citizen, and he or she kills it on the ACT and the SAT, and they have a great essay in this whole profile, and they want to, our child wants to go to XYZ University, but they can't. Because that seed has been taken by somebody who did not have all of those things done in their history or, or for whatever reason. I mean, why isn't it on merit? Why can't I raise my child in a world based on merit? Now, Bruce, I know has a response to that, and that is the response. Well, you know, it's been, it hasn't been fair. It hasn't really been on merit. You know, there's been seats reserved for the grandson of ex-Senator XYZ from, you know, 1937. What do they call them? Legacies. Well, why should a legacy go ahead of my child who's worked so hard and done all the extracurricular stuff? So there's a lot of inequities in our university system here. People can't afford the $73,000 a year at Brown or Harvard or Dartmouth if they don't have a scholarship. Uh, there's transportation issues, of course, COVID, you know, through through a curveball at everything. So I think the Supreme Court, so I'm, again, I, I'm a big believer in precedent. And in the Supreme Court, it's called, if I'm right, Bruce, stare decisis, meaning the decision has been made and we're going to kind of live with it. But there's cultural sea changes in the last 40 years. The demographics of the United States of America, both in volume, I mean, there's like an extra 100,000 million people since the original decisions. Uh, People are looking at colleges differently and universities and and what what is, you know, should you drop out of Harvard and invent the uh, Microsoft computer or like Bill Gates and his partners did in the garage? Is it worth going to college anymore? A lot of questions on the table. Yeah, and you know the the inequities stretch way down. I mean, your example is a great one, um, but you know you take a kid from an inner city school uh, that's a largely black school that you look at the resources available to that student and that family compared to the resources of the kid who you know is the middle to average. Uh, take Atlanta private school student whose parents are paying for piano lessons and are putting the kid into Boy Scouts and all these extra curriculums. And maybe you can just walk to, to the library. I mean, the advantages of being able to walk to your library are And, and the advantages right. of, of having it. maybe better teachers at the mm-hmm. school because the teachers go to those schools where they can get paid a little and bit And less more. violence where you can and, go to extracurricular and, and so activities. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. try to make up for some of that sure. by, by sure. finding ways to admit those students who may be every bit, if not more, more gifted academically if you just were in the wrong environment it shouldn't come down to the accident of where you were born and what color is your your skin is when you're born look i think the problem is not 
the the lack of or or do we want to make more opportunity for those who have not had the opportunities i think the rub is yeah but now you knocked me out of my opportunity that i worked really hard for yes i had those opportunities you know some extra tools in my tool belt uh, and we used them, okay? It's not just having the tools, it's using them. But why is my Johnny or Janie denied that last seat at Harvard Medical School and he or she wants to go to the you know, third world and save lives because somebody else got that seat, maybe not... I'm trying to choose my words here carefully because I want everybody to have a great education. I think that's America's promise. I think that should be. But I understand your point. And, and, you know, you could say the same thing about Hope Scholarship, right? Why, why should Hope Scholarship now make college that much more accessible to people who couldn't afford it before? And now my kid who would have gotten into Georgia 20 years ago right. um, is going to Kennesaw State or is going to Georgia Southern. Well, to guess work what? Way up, yeah. Kennesaw State and Georgia Southern have become much better schools as a result of people not getting into University of Georgia and they're, and they're raising up the standards at these other state schools. It's happened here. Like, look at that. Uh, this is going to sound elitist, right? But, you know, I'm 61 now, right? When I went to college, I went to University of Florida. You signed your name, you could get in. Now it's impossible to get into University of Florida. University of Alabama was a school for morons. I mean, there was just no way around it. And if I offended anybody who went to University of Alabama, let me say a little bit slower. It was a school for <laughs> morons. 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 <laughs> and, and now you've got all these kids who aren't getting into Georgia who who – for whatever reason, there's just not enough seats there that are crossing the border going to Alabama. Alabama is taking in students from out of state, and suddenly Alabama has become a desirable school with a very good school of business that in today's world, you're glad if you can get your kid into University of Alabama as a second choice to go to University of Georgia yeah. or a third choice if they can't get into Florida well, you know, or Georgia. Interesting how, how, how things that were thought to be great ideas have bizarre consequences. So many years ago, <clears throat> our government created the uh, 529 plants. For families to set aside tax-free money, tax-exempt money, tax-deferred money for education. Well, what that did was, in upper-middle-class families, built up this enormous war chest. Well, interestingly, how the prices of tuition have followed the war chest. Uh, you know, when I, st I started in Orange County Community College in upstate New York in the fall of 1976, and I want to say... My total tuition for that semester was about $987. Okay, when, now. When now, I was a, a freshman in Florida, it was $19 per credit hour. Yeah, well, it's Florida, brother. Come on. <laughs> they still owe. <laughs> they they had no break. air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> there was that. But, but, I mean, now I just had a friend of mine whose daughter started at Emory Law School, where, which I was fortunate enough to graduate in 1985. And the price tag is like $72,000. And, of course, they have to have the latest computer and this and that and that and this. I mean, I bought my books two weeks before the final exam. I went to the school bookstore and just read it standing up. Um, look, it's not just the 529. And we walked to five. Also, listen, when we walked to snow in, in New York, it was five foot. Nobody even shovels right? right? It's not. It's not just the uh, 529 plans, but it's the it's the yes. immediate availability of all this uh, guaranteed student loan money that cannot be bankrupted. That has also uh, fattened up these universities. Boy, so yeah, the tenured chairs. I mean, there's there's a lot of parts to this, but but I do think and. And while I, I can we can disagree on a lot of things, I'm glad the Supreme Court had a five-hour oral argument taking in 
information from not just the, the parties at the bar, but what's called amicus briefs. Those are friends of the courts. They're, how many do you think they got? 500? <laughs> 500 briefs by all kinds of law firms and student organizations and people from the left and people from the right and some people, not enough, in the middle trying to guide the Supreme Court. This is going to be a big, big decision, and I think the dissent will be powerful and wrong. This is Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. When we come back and continue with Bruce and Ray, former CFO of the Trump Organization pleads guilty for his role in a tax fraud scheme and agrees to testify against the company. But what does that mean for you if you're a small business owner? We'll get into that next. Here on Your Day in Court, this is Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to your day in court with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. This is Extra 106.3. My name is Doug Cowart, the former CFO of the Trump Organization. He's pleaded guilty to his role in a tax fraud scheme and agrees to testify against the company. This man's name is Alan Wesselberg, and he is the former chief financial officer for the Trump Organization. And uh, it was last week when he pleaded uh, to the role in a 15-year-long tax fraud scheme, one that, like I said, he's agreed to testify against the organization with. So with all that, we'll we'll address that briefly, and then I want to get into what does that mean for business owners here in Atlanta that might be listening to this show. Sure. And I, and I know it's hard if you're keeping score at home because there are so many different legal cases pending against the former president, but this is the one that has to do with uh, supposedly avoiding taxes by compensating high-level executives with perks like um, luxury cars and apartments and not paying taxes on them instead of um, 
you know, with traditional cash compensation for the work you've done. So, yeah, here you have, uh, you know, really the first lieutenant of the organization giving testimony against it. This is this would be like, you know, what was the scene in The Godfather, Ray, um, where you got, um, uh, you know, Frank Chichi's uh, <laughs> brother coming from Sicily, just just sitting there, uh, you know, with the congressional testimony, and uh, says, yeah. you know, yeah, Don Corleone says this, says, uh, yes, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> and then we had lunch. Right, yeah. didn't say a word, and then he went right back on the plane to, to <laughs> right. Sicily. You know, so um, yeah, that's it, Frank. They're hoping that uh, you know uh, <laughs> Weisselberg will do a Frankie Pentangeli and just get quiet uh, instead of actually testify. But you know, it's a serious thing, and 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 what you have here is a, a pretty blatant example of being exposed for behavior that may not be that uncommon. Now, the fact that it may not be that uncommon doesn't make it legal. Doesn't make it any less illegal, right? If I'm going 80 miles an hour on the highway and everybody else is going 80 miles an hour, that doesn't make my speeding any less of a violation of the law. I'm still speeding. You know, I, I feel like, why did I get singled out for going 80? Why aren't you giving everybody else tickets too? Well, um, if we have 87,000 new IRS agents coming, maybe, uh, you know, everybody who does this sort of thing is in danger. Yeah, I think, I think one thing we need to look at is, first of all, what is the extensiveness in this particular case, at least the allegations, of what the the tax fraud is, uh, this is this is pretty blatant stuff. I mean, we're talking about that uh, one of the executive's children's private school tuition was paid off the books. Okay, well that's fifty grand in New York. That that's to go to elementary school at a private school in Manhattan. Uh, you've heard things about parking storage in New York City. Park is a premium. Par- you you buy a parking spot. For generations, it costs like eight hundred thousand dollars, and it's a piece of land. You get a deed for that. Believe it or not, I mean it's it's right. Or unless you're on one of those elevated things, which I've always freaked me <laughs> no, out. But you know. they, first of all, they they cost a fortune. They cost and, a fortune, and, and, yeah. and they do get passed down to, uh, by generations. Now, now, is that sometimes potentially argument? And this is what we're going to segue into: the cost of doing business. Is that not just a perk potentially? But here, I've got a valued employee, Hagen. He comes in from New Jersey. He lives in Sheboygan or wherever, Hoboken, that's better. He crosses the bridge. He's got to park his car. He can't be effective. I can't have him circling around Tribeca looking for a space in front of a fire hydrant. I've got to give him a parking spot so he can do his job. Okay, so that's that's part of the argument, right? The other side of that is from the IRS is, hey, look, man, it costs $87 a day to park your car in Manhattan. That's a taxable benefit times five, times 50, times five years. And that's what this argument in this case is about. Big, actually pretty big dollars when you add it up. Yeah, and um, while it does not implicate Donald Trump personally, it does implicate his organization um, and and really the big moneymaker, the real estate side of things, and you know potentially up to, I think, a million and a half dollars or so in fines. Of course, the defense of this is that the key witness, Weisselberg, this was all his idea. He right. did this. We didn't know what was going on. This this was his doing. He controlled the book. It was Lieutenant Callie <laughs> that made us slaughter the Vietnamese yeah. citizens. We did. He gave us the order. We followed it. Yeah, but you know, it it will um, perhaps give an open look into some of the books that uh, are kept at the organization. And, you know, that's certainly an effort that the entire Trump organization has resisted in every aspect for years. Um, so it's it's interesting to see what might be revealed there. But, you know, it, it's, look, Ray and I are both small business owners, right? Um, 
this radio station is a small business. There's all kinds of perks that come here, right? If you if you get to go and play in the 680 the fan golf tournament, um, have you received some sort of benefit that you should be taxed on? Well, there's lunch involved. You got a meal out of it. You know, there are you could take this down to a microscopic level where it becomes ridiculous, but you can also just say that you know at some level now this is just being greedy and you're pushing it too far. Yeah. You start providing cars and apartments and you know, travel and other benefits like this, that becomes taxable. With some folks, it became that way with, um, they'd use a company card for flights and then the frequent, you know, keep the frequent flyer miles, right? Well, guess what? That became a taxable perk of, of your job. Yeah, I, I think one thing is Bruce and I both want to say that we are not tax experts. We both have CPAs and friends who are tax lawyers that we get our guidance from, and we recommend that none of you <laughs> get your tax guidance from Bruce no, or I. Don't. <laughs> but don't do that. But we're just talking sort of a big picture thing. So, you know, there's always been those red flags for the IRS, and that's sort of the home office and the, the car lease out of your office. And, you know, did you have mo- an office in the Bahamas? I mean, there's those things that the IRS, and they have algorithms now, yeah. the computers. The entertainment expense. The entertainment right. expense, which, you know, when I started practicing, law a gazillion years ago was kind of unlimited man i mean you really you know you took that american express corporate card and you, you ate six nights out a week on it or ball games and things like that so you you know the tax laws have changed about deductibility uh they've changed about things that they want to look at so you got to be much more careful than you used to be these guys from the allegations you know they sort of flaunted the rules especially in new york state where the attorney general the irs the Southern District of New York federal prosecutors, everybody is, you know, the vultures are circling the Trump organizations, whether it's for potentially inflated property values for loans. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot more cases than this one. And it's funny because, you know, part of your uh, duty as an American is you pay your taxes, right? And that's that's something we all do. And it's like, I'm a, I'm a good American. I pay my taxes. The other part of it is I'm going to do everything I can to avoid paying taxes as much as possible. And, and you know, within the bounds of the law, that's fine, right? These aren't loopholes in the tax code. These are, you know, laws that say that if you do X, Y, Z, that's not taxable. You can walk up to the line. Yeah. You can maybe even straddle it. I, I Just have, don't cross I have it. a friend, and I, and I don't want to rat him out here, but, you know, he, he'll have the outrageous things. He tells me, oh, yeah, it's all a write-off. And I said, what do you mean it's a write-off? It's like, you know, People this, say this that. can't I don't, be a write-off. Right? Right. And he goes, no, no, let me finish my sentence. It's all a write-off until you get audited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's That's like, right. okay, right. well, now I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and, once and, you're in the audit system, it's hard to get out of the audit sure, system. Sure, no, no. And, and come and, back and a few years later. We, we had a discrepancy in our office over something. When, when you do personal injury cases, um, the law changed several years ago for lawyers so that every dollar – that comes into the office uh, becomes taxable to the lawyer, right? And th- this was done to uh, as an after effect. You know, you're talking about unintended consequences, right? This this was an unintended consequence of trying to prevent drug dealers from stashing money in their lawyer's escrow accounts, right? And using their lawyer's escrow accounts basically to wash their money. So what they said was every dollar that goes into a lawyer's escrow account is taxable to that lawyer. Now, the you know, if I settle a case for $10,000, that would be a very small case in my office. Uh, but you know, <laughs> if we settle a case for $10,000, that's going to look like $10,000 of income to me, except here's how that works. I pay 
money for the client's medical bills out of that 10000 So $2,000 went to a doctor. Um, our actual attorney's fees that we net to ourselves will come out of there. So a third of that will come out for there. We'll pay back you know, the out-of-pocket expenses. And so the $5,000 or so that the client gets, gets will go there. And I've got a paper trail of checks showing where all the money went. Out of the 10. And we drill back so that the $3,300 that really came to my office is the net income. But if I don't go through that, process, now it looks like $10,000 of income to me. And so we got into a situation where the IRS looked at it and says, wait a second, it looks like you've got all this income to you personally, because it looked like all the income to the office was coming to me personally, and yet you're only reporting this much in taxes. And so we had an IRS agent spend a week in our office to have to go through all those settlement statements, all those checks and everything else. And you know, when they start looking for one thing, um, they're looking for everything, and, and it didn't matter that I brought in donuts and bagels every day of the week and um, coffee and juice and all that stuff for them. You know, there's there's still a couple of things there. It's like, well, this isn't right, and let's try to clean this up for next year. Yeah, of course, there's, there's a difference between a, a mistake in accounting as opposed to blatant premeditated tax evasion and that's what that's what gets your your pelt nailed up on some IRS agent's wall so all of us lawyers you know in the criminal defense world any kind of a large cash fee we have to file a special disclosure with the bank and with the federal government where the money came from uh, we don't see as much cash as we used to back in the day so many different ways for people to pay attorneys fees now PayPal Venmo I don't even you know the staff Thank God, my I have some people. Cash app, thank yeah. God. Cash, I, cash app's a big one. I have a few lawyers. people under the age of thirty that understand this stuff. You know, otherwise I'd I'd be getting paid in apple pies and Krugerrands, <laughs> which is not the end of the world either. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so it's changed dramatically. But it looks like it looks like an interesting case. And and look, I'm sure. At least I'd like to be sure because uh, I work with a lot of really good prosecutors and their teams, that they went through this case pretty carefully before they indicted. They have Mr. Weisselberg's kind of confession, his plea bargain, whether he's rolled over or given statements or not and got immunity. We will find out once the state's case gets going. They've just done their opening statements. And I think it'll be interesting what the defense is, but I, I can kind of tell you, it's like, okay, guys, somebody's got to fall on their sword so that the king doesn't go down. Right, Bruce? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's going to be opportunities <laughs> that have to happen here, no, no doubt. Um, I remember Michael Cohn thought he was falling on a sword and uh, didn't seem to serve him very well. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, um, it'll be a, for us as spectators and commentators, and sure. these, these are fun trials to watch. You know, it's, uh, it, it, there's going to be some great lawyering going on. There's going to be a lot of heat coming at Weisselberg, which is true of every, um, every criminal case where somebody is... Well, providing Bruce, you, testimony you, against somebody yeah, else, you know, both, and that's that become an easy target. We both represented clients where we went to trial, and there were one or two or three either co-defendants in my world or defendants in Bruce's world, three different drivers, each of whom denies being the this party that was going too fast or cut the other party off. And it's like the, the famous uh, statute of the three monkeys, you know, hear no evil, <laughs> see no evil, know no evil. None of them know nothing. None of them remember anything. And, of course, you have to turn as a plaintiff's lawyer say, Ladies and gentlemen, jury, all I know is these three guards combined to put my client in the hospital. Y'all, you know, figure, figure it out. It's, it's gotten even harder for us in the civil cases because now the law allows the defendant to try to blame an empty chair that's a non-party to the case. And, and even if it's somebody that can't be brought into the case, to, to put them at fault— at least for some of the responsibility to take it off themselves. Well, we're seeing that in the premises liability cases. Just mm -hmm. a quick segue. So you are, are you rent an apartment 
and you are robbed by gunpoint and maybe maybe even worse, assaulted. Uh, now you want to sue the apartment complex for lack of good security, that the parking gate's been broken for two months and they didn't fix it, or you get the statistics from local police department that showed us 350, there's been 350 robberies in that neighborhood. Well, now the defendant, apartment complex, and maybe their security team sues, they bring in the defend, the criminal defendant, even if they don't know who it is, it's John or Jane Doe, and say, hey, wait a second. But for this bad dude who broke in with a gun and held you up and pistol whipped you, we wouldn't be here. It's not our fault. Apportion some liability and your damages award to bad dude John Doe, who, we, who may be serving life in prison somewhere. Yeah, but it's even even beyond that, like the cases where they'll try to apportion fault to your employer in, in a certain way. Like, you know, you didn't get ad- adequate training. Well, that claim would have been barred under workers' comp. You couldn't even have sued that person and, or that entity. And yet they're saying that you could actually apportion fault to a party that couldn't have been brought into this case in the yeah, first place. Yeah. And so it's it's all just a matter of, you know, not, not so much in the premises case you just described because there you could have uh, apportioned fault between the criminal that perpetrated the crime and the security company that didn't provide security case right but you know here where it's like this is just an attempt to hide the ball and we we see that more and more in uh, the civil cases we do so, but but you know, here with here with the tax situation again, it's it's you know it's more a matter of look, you, you know that uh, you got to pay Caesar his due, um, and so plan ahead. If you're going to steal, if you're going to cheat, you better set aside a lot of money to pay <laughs> right. your lawyers. That's, right. that, that's really that's all it comes right. down to. Right. And it's not going to be me and Ray, but you call us and we'll tell you who to hire for that sort of thing <laughs> because you're going to need it. And and I'm not sure if there's any statute of limitations on the IRS coming after you. I think they can go back pretty maybe criminally, yes. Yeah. But for civil penalties, I think they can go back through your records pretty darn far with their with their yeah, calculator I, th- I think for audits it's 10 years 10. But, but for other types of civil penalties there may not be do Again, you all see we're this, not the tax experts no, yeah, right, right. no i get remember it. that but do you all see this <laughs> setting a precedent for I- anything to, to come you know afterwards now that you know now that this is this has happened the pleaded guilty and then when this case goes and and everything is adjudicated and everything is decided is there going to be a precedent, a new precedent for small business owners in some way or other? I, I don't see it that way. I see it more as a cautionary tale. Okay. And, and uh, you know, the sort of tale that, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall kind of thing. And, and, and you know, just the idea that, look, if you're playing games uh, and you're cheating, you will get caught eventually. And, and the bigger the sums are, the more painful it's going to be when it happens. Well, let me throw in one little curveball on that. I do think there's going to be some precedent, and I think it's going to be as you evolve politically, I think we're going to see more and more business people go into politics, rich people, billionaires perhaps. Seems to be a trend already, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, right, and, and, and maybe legitimate billionaires. And then <laughs> what, what do the political winds blow as to who gets audited? Which, which billionaire senator now has her or his or her real estate development uh, you know that they got rich on undone or looked at the books. I think you're going to see more of that. I really do. I think I think it's going to be a tool that the political parties are going to play football with against each other, especially because there's going to be. I don't think there's any question about it. I think we're going to enter enter an era where big dollar people, not just supported by big dollars, but people who have made a lot of money and look, they're successful. At least you know we think they are. Um, they've created electric cars or whatever they've done and shot rocket ships off and now they want to save, you know, save the country and that they're entitled to run. But I do think there's going to be some of that going on. 
It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that that seems to be something that, well, that is already kind of trending that way. Bloomberg didn't send rockets to Mars. Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but but the, but a lot of those guys are. You know, you're starting to see people that that pop up, pop up, and bubble up, and whether they're football coaches or you know uh, they're entrepreneurs, whatever it is. I mean, there's always been a, a an element of people who run for office who is already wealthy. So I, I mean, I. But it's, I, the ones I get, it's the ones who get wealthy in office. Yeah, that that's the ones you got to watch out for. Which that seems to be a pretty big think, trend think, on uh, on both sides. I of think the President Truman said that about eighty years ago. It's look look for the folks that got rich while in office Boy, rather howdy. than before office. Yeah, but that 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 seems to be look a a big problem on both sides now, right? Because money is is look the root of all evil, right? Well, it's it's silly to me that there would be any pushback on this notion that. Um, senators and congressmen should not be allowed to actively trade stocks I agree. Uh, while they're in office. Yep. You know, and and um, if you're going to have blind trusts, if that if that really works, I don't know if it does or not. Hey, it I want good. a blind trust. I want you to put it all in the technology <laughs> share. Since, <laughs> yeah. since I serve on the technology committee or the medical care right. committee, I mean, it's a little bit of a yeah. ruse, but at least it's a thin paper wall of hey, I got I found out this afternoon that the Chinese have unleashed a virus, and I'm going to start trading stocks yeah, tomorrow morning but on it's that. like you know rick at rick's cafe telling me to put all my money on 22 and then get out of this casino and you know go go buy the papers from victor laszlo <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's a little yeah i'm, I'm showing my one. age no, here no, by no, no, referencing no. Casablanca. i, I yeah, cry right. every time they walk to the plane man it's, it's, every it's so time good. i thought so it was gonna good. be newsies from disney <laughs> no, it turns out. Hey, i actually saw Casablanca with with the uh, with the atlanta symphony orchestra a few oh, years ago special Man, that was fantastic. Have you yeah. watched it recently, Tom? I've not. It's been a while. Oh, it's been man, a minute. I, the first time I ever saw it was in the Navy. Uh, I mean, on the closed circuit television. You know, sure. they would they would just show movies, and sometimes it was classics, and sometimes it was Top Gun. Yeah. Well, it's really a great pro-American propaganda. Film. Oh, absolutely. It, it's, and 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 it's you know it's Harold. I think for people who don't who haven't seen it or don't, don't know what it's about, but you know you watch it and it's like the most pro-American uh, spirit you could have. And hey, you know it's also anti-Nazi. Okay, Bruce. So there's two ways of well, looking yeah, at this. Yeah, right. Same thing. <laughs> so, well, used used to be the same thing. Yeah, right. I, I like I like both pro-America and anti-Nazi. I'm, I'm in I'm in favor of both of those things. But you know the uh, the, the guy that has pleaded. Do you do you expect that they're going because they, they've already said. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna pay a million plus, you know, and and he's got uh, a risk of serving 15 years in prison. Has agreed to serve 100 days. So, and I guess he's already done the the 100 days. So, is it, does anything else happen to him since he's he's kind of rolling over? He he seems to have a pretty yeah, relatively good deal. Well, you know, here's the thing on these on these immunity deals. Eventually, you mostly get called to the witness stand by somebody, and you better be telling the truth. You better not unravel your immunity deal or whatever deal you've taken with the prosecutor. Uh, the DA cares about that, and the judges care about that, too. I've seen it happen. I've seen folks that have taken deals. The state calls them as a, as a witness against you know the other defendant or defendants, and all of a sudden their memory Oops, I don't really remember that. Well, didn't you, you know, you took a plea and you admitted to being there at the robbery, and now all of a sudden you can't remember who the other— SOD, some other dudes were. Uh, all of a sudden, it's a timeout. The jury gets sent in the back. So he needs to be crisp. He should have his transcripts from his proffer, meaning he, he took a plea. He made certain statements under oath and in good faith to the district attorneys and their investigators. And if he doesn't, he'll serve more than 100 days. So so that's if he, if he changes his story. Mm-hmm. Is In plea deals like this, Ray, is the deal ever 
based on the outcome of the trial in which they're it's testifying. It's based on the outcome of your testimony. So, in other words, you take the plea, but you're not sentenced until after you cooperate. Sometimes you're not even called to a witness stand. Just your name on the witness list and the DA saying, and, you know, we may call XYZ to the stand. As long as you hold up your side of the bargain, the deal is okay. It's if you don't. So, it's not contingent on, say, a conviction happening. No, no. Okay, because that was my question. Well, well, look, hopefully, in theory— your testimony is supposed to get the conviction, so you know, but not formally. That's not the deal. The deal is you testified honestly, you gave relevant information that turned out to be truthful, you were prepared to testify truthfully. You know, if the state doesn't get its conviction, that's kind of not not the witness's fault. Yeah, but so is it? There, so there's no contingency whatsoever. Like if you say, I mean, if you if you at least attempt to do what you said you would do, then you're in the good. You're in the good. Yeah, because that that would make me nervous. Well, I, well, I'm well, not think, that think about <laughs> think about the trickle down effect for everybody, especially in the federal system, who is encouraged to roll over on their boss for not paying his or her taxes, you know, and and claiming the uh, the luxury vehicles as a, as a as a business deduction. If if the word gets out that hey, you know what. You only win if we win. Hey, wait a second. That's on a billboard somewhere. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not right. You've got you've got to give the person the ability to say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna take this risk now because I might get a cap in my you know what too." Don't forget, these cases not are just civil tax fraud cases, but witnesses who cooperate cooperate in all kinds of serious criminal cases, drug cases. Well, you know, if the cartel leader doesn't get convicted, but you testified against him, mm. you, you can't have that system go on. Buddy, that's a bad situation that's a to bad find yourself situation yeah. that find yourself in all right when we come back on your day in court with bruce hagan and ray judice we're going to hit a law 101 how do you determine the value of human life seems like a pretty uh, uh hard thing to uh to put a number on that seems like an almost an impossibility to do that but we'll break it down we'll discuss it next on your day in court on extra 1063 The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best.
This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. We're going to do a Law 101. How do you determine the value of human life? This is quite a big question. It is, and this may come up if uh, hopefully not for you because of experience with anybody personally in your family. But if you are ever called down for jury duty, it's entirely possible that you're going to be a juror in a case involving what we call the wrongful death, meaning somebody was killed as a result of the negligence of someone else. And part of that mission is determining what is the value of the life of the deceased person. That sounds as if it's a monumental task when you think about it just without any guidance. How could I possibly sit in judgment and tell you what the value is of one person's life versus another? But there are components to it under the law. And one of those components is the economic loss, right? So that's a little bit more of a tangible number. So somebody who is 40 years old and working, let's say, as a high-level executive or as a physician and has an income stream and certainly future income potential, you'll have an expert economist come in and describe what that person's income trajectory was likely to look at. What about with a two-year-old where you, you have no idea how that person's life is going to go. Those same experts will come in and they'll give you sort of a range based on some variables. What's the likelihood of this person finishing high school or college or grad school? What sort of success did their parents have? Because that's a predictor of what the kid might have. So they'll give you some guidance there. But Ray, one of the harder things to figure out are the intangible aspects of it. And, and that is the human loss to the person who didn't get to live out the rest of their life. The hard part of these conversations is to sit down with the estate or the family and say, okay, uh, your loved one was, as, as, as Bruce points out, was 40 years old. He or she worked at the XYZ Corporation, made $119,000 a year. Uh, so we can say he or she was going to live work till 65, and so that's another 23 years at that salary rate, plus whatever the inflation, whether it's Democratic inflation or Republican inflation, and, you know, Social Security benefits, value, uh, health benefits. I mean, there's all, that's what economists do. There's a, a you, and, you and I have both used several of them, and they can actually vary pretty widely. And I can also assure you that the insurance company or whoever the defendant is, if they're individually insured, is going to hire their economists, and lo and behold, their numbers are going to be a lot lower than your numbers. I've seen, and it's kind of funny how that you happens. Same factors. But if you tweak just the inflation rate a little bit, if you tweak just the colas from Social Security or the benefits just a little bit, or what's the what's the average rise in healthcare costs over the span of a lifetime, you change what the what the eventual number is. And of course, we're kind of bound by the Georgia actuarial table, which I believe says you live to be seventy four. Is that right? Are we still it's using a, that? Yeah, the, when was the, that? There is a an accepted actuarial table that right. can be used without in question in any case. You can also offer other actuarial mm-hmm, tables, but mm-hmm. you'd have to now bring your own expert to show be, that your lifespan that lifespan would have been higher because than the, the actuarial right. tables we use are from 1962 they're so outdated you know when you look at what's going but, on but they're also but, not demographically correct they're correct. not adjusted that, that's a big difference yeah like, the, like you do annual physicals where does that put you uh, in your demographics compared to the average where you know for men they typically don't check on their health so what we talked it's about crass. the economic yeah. <laughs> aspect of things sounds like it's unfair right like why are you 
you going to value the life of somebody who earns this much money more than, you know, somebody who is working a nine to five blue collar job at minimum wage, right? Well, that's just the economic component of right. it. The non-economic component of it is the harder aspect to figure out, but that's really where the jury has to do their work uh, a lot more well, than just deciding between expert testimony. And it comes down to not like if I lost a loved one, how much does it hurt me to not have that loved one in my life anymore? The value is what did that loved one lose by not getting to live out the rest of their life? So you think about all the happy times, the joys of life, watching a sunset, hearing a the song, important things. tasting Thanks. a delicious meal, seeing the birth of your kids or your grandkids or whatever it might be, not having the opportunity to do those things. Even with senior citizens on the actuarial table don't have a lot left there. It's still like, you know, you work your whole life to have these golden years to be able to enjoy the fruits of hopefully live, having a life well lived. And so how do you put a dollar value on that? And that's that's kind of the jury's task. Now. Well, you say the jury's task. This is where the art of oh, lawyering yeah. comes oh, yeah. in, okay? Pretty much anybody out of law school on a death case can hire a pretty good economist if they have the resources. And that economist will pretty much do the job. They'll, they'll have a worksheet, tax records, things like that, interview the family about property ownership. And then they can come up with a pretty good number without much guidance from the lawyers. The soft part of this, or when I say soft, the non-number part that you can put on a presentation up on the wall is to describe maybe a 67-year-old person who may have had some medical problems. What's the last five years of that person's life with holding their grandchild, as Bruce says, you know, that last walk on the beach with your partner? That's really hard to do, but that's where good non-billboard lawyer lawyering they can, comes they in. Can, okay? They can paint the yeah. picture, they right? They can paint yeah. the picture. And sometimes right. you, you tie it to things that people see, like, hey, you know, a baseball card yeah. was, you know, just valued at $2.5 million, mm -hmm. right? How are we going to value a baseball card mm -hmm. at that, that and not value the rest of your Fine life? Fine like that, right? There is a lot of artistry to it. We've got a trial coming up. This is going to be a big issue, and, and you know, we're dealing with a child. It's terrible, and, and yet, you know, we know that this is part of the challenge is, is painting the picture in a way that motivates a jury to consider everything, all these intangibles, but make it easy for them by walking them step by step. So it's not some reach for them to just pull a number out of thin air, but they're going to be guided step by step in how they get there. And in my world, you know, I, I handle vehicle homicide cases where my client's been charged with vehicle homicide from everything from a misdemeanor vehicle homicide, which means you ran through a stop sign or, or maybe were driving a little too fast, to a felony vehicle homicide, which usually the basis is a DUI or, or something egregious. And then we have sometimes a really nice person. In fact, a young lady, I think, in Metro Atlanta was killed by a drunk driver within the last 72 hours. I think she was the captain of the cheerleader team and going to college. I mean, how do you value that life, especially, especially, quite frankly, the harder ones are the misdemeanors, vehicle homicides, because it's a traffic infraction that any of us, no matter how good and careful a driver we are, can commit every day of our driving life, and yet it costs somebody else their life. And so there's the victims are in the families, and they get to read the victim impact statement, and it's just gut-wrenching, and I've listened to many, many of them. And, and you know, I, I got to fight back the tears because I've got my client standing next to me. I'm trying to keep him or her out of prison time, but I feel that emotional pain. And one last thing. So now you have the very difficult job, eventually, in preparing for trial when your clients, I guess the estate or the parents of this child are going to say, how much are you going to ask the jury for? 
That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I mean, we it do isn't, it. it isn't, because we know we're on the right side of things. Well, I understand. And, and the numbers and the abstracts sound so large, and then when you really start thinking about it, you know, what what is today worth to you? You know, you've got a, a date planned tonight, and maybe it's a first date. Maybe there's that anticipation of, is there going to be a kiss involved here? There's so much to live for every single day, and, you know, you factor that over the course of a lifetime, and so numbers that sound outrageous. I mean, there was a recent case, $77 million verdict for the value of this lost 29-year-old human life. And it's like, you start thinking about it, it's like, that's really not that outrageous. I think that was a catastrophic case, not a death case. No, that was a death case. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm thinking about no. a death case. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, close out really quickly. How do folks get a hold of you, Bruce? 404-202-2233 is my number. Bruce at Hagen-Law.com is the email. Please reach out, by the way, if you have any suggestions for topics you want us to address yeah. on the show. Yeah. You can email, you can call, you can also um, hit us up on Twitter at PeepsLawyer.com. I'm going to stay on Twitter and write out this whole Elon Musk thing. It's very entertaining to me. 404-964-4185, RageUDJLaw.com. We're here in Roswell now, but, you know, yesterday I had two cases in the city of Atlanta, Fulton County in the morning. Got on my pony, drove out to Forsyth County, closed out a case at 1.30. Went back to the office, did a Zoom bond hearing for a Cherokee County case. Got home around 6, 6.01. I had a Johnny Walker Blackport on a piece of ice. There you go. It's a good living right there. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.